thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Welcome. Now, I was going to start this morning. Those of you who weren't here last week, we started a, a very short series about fasting. And I'm sort of encouraging you for the next, well, for the next 14 days now to, to fast of some way. There's a partial fast, there's a full fast, there's a, a supernatural fast, but fasting is feasting, was what we talked about last week. Fasting isn't about the act of going without, okay? It's about feasting and focus. So, you know, um, I don't know whether your experience of fasting is, is, uh, is great or nothing, but I could have started this morning by saying who's started fasting, but then you'd have broken the first rule of fast club, wouldn't you? Okay, uh, I could say, you know, those people who look miserable at me on a Sunday morning, I've now got an excuse to say, stop looking miserable. Is it because you're fasting or because actually you're just looking miserable? I don't know. But um, there wasn't many laughs for that. There's a few people that sort of, how dare you, Johnny? How dare you? But anyway, yeah, but fasting, last week we talked about fasting is feasting. And as a church, it's not something we've taught a lot about. And I think it's really important as we start the year to recognize that our focus has to be feasting on God. So that's where it's about. So today, the title, if you like, is Fasting is Preparation with Only One Expectation. Okay? Fasting is for preparation with only one expectation. If you want a a title, if you want to know what you're going to go home with, that's what it is. And then... I don't know about you, but I love to watch The Apprentice. Any Apprentice fans in here? A few, okay. The reason I love to watch it is because these so-called intelligent, super sort of business people come across as absolute wallies. And, and actually, I love to sit there thinking, I could do that, and I could probably do a better job than this person who says, I've got, I've got business in my blood, or something like that. You know, um, if, if you look up the word business in the dictionary, you'll see me. You know, things like that, isn't it? And it's just so cheesy. And actually, it's just a car crash bit of television. So if you've never watched it, it's worth watching because it's highly entertaining. However, this week or the first week, they had to sell a cruise trip. Okay, who's been on cruises? You know, a few people. Yeah, we can see those people who, you know, of a certain age. Is that it? No, 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 no. Everyone can go on cruises. But uh, cruising. And they had to sell this cruise trip. And one of the teams decided to go with the name Bougie Cruises. Now, immediately, I thought of Bougie Cruises, which, which was a thing, that I think, that happened when people brought beer across the channel to sell cheaply in England. But Bougie Cruises. And the episode went on for an hour. And at every point in that episode, nobody could explain what Bougie meant. Not one person, even the woman who was passionate about this name, she could not explain what it meant. One of her team members asked her at least three times and said, but what is it? And she went, well, you know, you know, it's like having brunch. It's like, no, it's not, okay? And they kept going on about this name and nobody knew what it meant. So they were trying to sell something that they didn't know what it was about. They needed to know. They needed to be informed. They also didn't know what it wasn't. (laughs) Because actually, they kept coming up with these, well, it's this, it's that, and actually, it was none of those things. So they didn't know what it was, and they didn't know what it wasn't. 
and yet they were trying to sell it and win a task. If only they'd looked on the dictionary on their phone. They've all got these phones. I don't know whether the rules say you're not allowed to go on Google, but if they'd have looked, they could have found a definition of bougie. Well, today, for those of you who watched it, they would discover that it's the shortening of an old word, which is bourgeoisie, okay? So bougie is the shortening of bourgeoisie, which describes the middle and upper class. It describes somebody who thinks they are better than somebody else because of their economic status. So that was the name of their cruise. Basically, cruises for snobs is what they were selling. Cruises for people who look down on everybody else. Cruises for people who thought they were better than anyone. Doesn't quite sell the same, does it? So when we talk about fasting, it's important for us to back up what it is. Yeah, we could talk about it, but it's important for us to back up what it is. And it's also important for us to be totally clear of what it isn't. It's important to know what it is and also know what it isn't. Because if we are going to say, actually, I think fasting is important, the Bible talks about it, then we need to be able to back that up. We need to be able to say why. And last week we said fasting isn't about the, the, the getting rid of necessarily. It's about the turning to God. That's the focus. You know, some people do it out of routine. You know, in our house group this week, in our connect group, we talked about what fasting was and what it wasn't, if you like. And you know, some people said that as, as children, they were made to do it every Saturday. And so one, one of the people, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning this, said, um, you know, she tried to stay in bed as long as possible so it didn't affect her. And it's like, well, that's what it isn't. It isn't about the deprivation of food. It isn't about the going without. It's about the focusing on. And we talked about that a lot last week. Some do it because they're told to. Maybe, I think some people in our group had done a 24-hour sponsored fast. Anyone done a sponsored fast at school, maybe, you know? First thing I need to point out as well, if you struggle with an eating disorder, it doesn't have to be food. It can be social media. Some of us would do really well to come off social media, you know? Because actually, a fast from social media would probably help us to see, actually, looking at our lives rather than telling everybody else about our lives would be a good thing, okay? But we need to know, without a shadow of a doubt, what the Bible tells us what fasting is and what it clearly isn't. So hopefully over these coming weeks, you could almost see this three sort of four-part sermon series as a real encouragement to try it because the Bible tells us it means that it gets us closer to God, not because he's earning brownie points, but because our focus has to shift. Our focus has to shift. So what is it not? It's not twisting arms. It's not saying, if I go without food, God will answer my prayer. It's not saying, if I go without this, God will give me what I want. That's not what it isn't, is. You know, David fasted. There's loads of examples, but David fasted and prayed for his very, very seriously ill son. And his son died. He still experienced the loss and the devastation. Fasting wasn't about, God, if I do this, you will do this. It was about turning to God, whatever the circumstances. Let's read. We're going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. They're both going to be from the message version, because I think they tell the story a little bit better, not because of any other reason. So the words should come up on the screen. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 and verses 1 to 3. The book of Daniel, you know the story of Daniel and the lions. Uh, the second half of the book of Daniel is very prophetic. It's very much echoes, it's, it's a pre-runner to the book of Revelation. And Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 says this about Daniel. Darius, son of Ahasuerus, 
that was good, wasn't it? Ahasuerus, born a Mede, became, oh, bit, I was being a bit bougie about my, my, uh, my English language then, wasn't I? <laughs> okay. Darius, I'll start again. Son of Ahasuerus, born a Mede, became king over the land of Babylon. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, was meditating on the scriptures that gave, according to the word of God, to the prophet Jeremiah, the number of years that Jerusalem had to lie in ruins. Jeff, any idea? Yeah, it's on the screen now, isn't it? Did Jeremiah alter new on Thursday night? Namely, 70. This is Daniel. I turned to the master God asking for an answer, praying earnestly, fasting from meals, wearing rough penitential burlap, and kneeling in the ashes. I poured out my heart, bearing my soul to God, my God. Okay? Going to just stop there because that's the only bit I want to read from Daniel. Because this tells us, I think, what fasting is and what fasting isn't. Let me just read that last bit again. I turned to the Master God, asking for an answer, praying earnestly, fasting from meals, wearing rough sackcloth, if you like, and kneeling in the ashes. I poured out my heart, bearing my soul to God, my God. I think this is a brilliant example because the last little bit says this, I poured out my heart. That's what fasting is about, pouring out our heart to God, bearing his soul. He bared his soul. In other words, he opened himself up completely to God the Father. He said, I want you to totally just get all of me, bearing my soul, bearing my heart. That speaks of intimacy, doesn't it? When you're intimate, it's all about opening yourself completely to somebody, to be intimate with them. When we're intimate with God, it's about saying, God, here I am. It's about God saying, here I am, see me. He is the God who sees. He is El Roy, as we've known. God, see me. God, have, take all of me. God, use me. That's what Daniel is saying here as he fasted. Doesn't really, he's not interested in reality about the answer to the prayer. He's saying, God, I want to be intimate with you. I want depth of relationship. Yeah, that's what we want, isn't it? We want depth of relationship. That's what we long for in society. We don't want to be lonely. We want depth of relationship. With God, we can have depth of relationship, but we need to focus on him not just once or twice a week. We need to realign ourselves. Daniel, in this prayer, if this cry, he wants to know God. He wants to hear God. And how does that come to him? That only comes from the focus of his fast and his prayer. It only comes from that moment, from focusing and feasting, not expecting our result. It's not saying, God, I want this answer, so I'm going to fast so I get it. It's saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to focus on you. It's totally about not the result, but expecting to come closer to God and grow. It's about repentance, as we said last week, about turning from and back to God. The world will point you in this direction. I had, some, I had a great chat last night with my nieces. Don't worry, girls. I'm not going to tell them what we all talked about. I was there for two hours. They kept asking me questions. It was brilliant. And the whole time, our focus was on what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? And that's exciting because we get to know each other and they get to know a bit more of who God is and I get to know who God is. And it put, you know, it's exciting. And it's about turning from, the world is selling us this picture of what life is all about. It's saying, 
You know, if you don't sleep with people, then you're a bit weird. You know, even the Big Bang Theory, the comedy program full of nerds, they're all sleeping with people, so if you're not, you must be a bigger nerd than them. That's the message that it gives us. But actually, God says, no, I've got the best for you. Katie got a new car not so long ago, and she phoned me or she messaged me from the petrol station saying, is it diesel or unleaded? <laughs> now, the best place to look for that is in the manual, isn't it? Because if you put the wrong thing in there, well, it won't be good, will it, down the road? Because the manufacturer of the car knows what that engine needs. So it says, no, you need to put unleaded in there. She could have gone and put Coca-Cola in there. That would have been even worse. But the manufacturer knows it needs unleaded fuel. So the manufacturer says, put unleaded fuel in, and that will be the best. And yet in life, our maker tells us what is for the best. He's not a killjoy. The first instruction he gives in the Bible is, go and multiply. But he says, do it in the right place and do it with one person. Do it in that strength of relationship with God at the heart. The maker knows what's best. And yet so often we turn this way and go, oh, that looks nice. When actually we should be turning and facing him. We talked about that a little bit last week. Chloe was talking to me the other day. It's quite, often, it's quite common, especially with Chloe. She was talking to me the other day. And as she was talking to me, I was in the middle of replying to a text and she suddenly went, okay, I'll stop. I said, go on, I can, no, no, no. I'll wait till you've finished. Which was quite good for her, because normally she'd go, dad, put that down. Okay, I'll wait till you've finished. Because I said, well, why? She said, well, while you're texting, you aren't listening to me. While you're typing that message, you aren't giving me your full attention. And it got me thinking a little bit about this. Communication is a two-way thing. And total relies on total concentration, focus, and commitment, doesn't it? I'll give you another example. My mum, you know, she might be watching, so I've got to be careful what I say. My mum will call very regularly. And there are times where she'll ask, usually she says, how things, what have you done today? And sometimes I can say things like, oh, um, the children have run away and joined the circus. And she would say, oh, that's good. Because actually she asks the question and she's probably playing on Candy Crush on her iPad or watching something on the television and she isn't really paying attention because her focus is somewhere else. The other night, for example, she rang me and she said, how's the dog? Now Miley, our dog, or one of them, is very old. She's blind, she's deaf, she's diabetic. Not things going very well for her, but sadly she refuses to go. Don't ah. You, if you're R in, I'll send her to live with you for a week. You'll send her back, okay? But she said, how's the dog? And she's also a little bit prone to bouts of incontinence if you're not watching her. I don't get that. Sometimes she'll bark, and this morning at 7 o'clock, she barked because she wanted to go out. Other times, she'll just go, forget it. <laughs> you know? She's prone to those things. But my mum said, how's the dog? And my reply was, she's being a total pain. To which my mum went, oh, good. Because she wasn't really listening. She was probably doing something else. And I'm, I'm as guilty as that as anybody. I'm as guilty as that as anybody. She has done when I've told her more important things before, which is very worrying. In fact, I seem to remember a story from the Hardingham's about Alison. Alison will send a text with LOL on, won't you? Which means lots of love. Yeah. But sometimes it's very inappropriate. I seem to remember Josh saying years ago you'd sent a text about some bad news and written LOL at the end, and actually you meant lots of love. But saying bad news and then lol isn't really 
the best way is to send the text. <laughs> but actually, that's because we're not focused on what we're doing. Sorry, I've outed you there, Alison. I should have uh, asked. I knew you wouldn't mind because you're encouraged. I won't get my encouraging text this week. It'll be Johnny, don't mention me again. Purely because we get distracted and we don't listen, yeah? That's how it happens. That's the message I'm trying to get across. We get distracted by the smallest and simplest of things. We get our eyes change focus for a second and immediately the difference it makes is massive, isn't it? All of a sudden, instead of responding in the appropriate way, we're saying something that actually is totally wrong because we're not focused on what we should be because we don't always listen. Am I my mum's son? Yes, I am. Does my mum love me? Yes, she does, I think. Do I always listen intently to everything she says? No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm sorry, mum. I need to put everything down and focus in order to truly hear what she's saying. I need to put everything down to truly focus on what she's saying. Ros will tell you, I'm terrible sometimes. I need to put everything down to truly focus on what she's saying. You know, I know the Pays team when they were here insisted on a fast once a month for a day from sunrise to sunset. And one team member in our house chose to sleep most of that time because it was easier than going without. That is not feasting. That is, not, that is, fa- that is fasting with a purely religious way to it. That is a routine. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, you won't. No, it's not who you think it is. That actually is purely religious. It's more like a superstition, isn't it? I'm going to go without food and I'll get blessed. That, that's a superstitious nonsense. That's not fasting. But that's what it's become. That's what it's been turned into. I'm going to go without and God will just give me what I want. That's a little bit like a spoilt child. If I miss my lunch, God will sort my problems out. No, no, no. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about focus. It's about feasting. And it's about getting to know him better and hearing what he wants to say. So don't say, you know, I want this problem fixing. So this week, I'm I'm going to just not have my lunch. Don't do that. That's not fasting. But it's about communication with God. It's about desire for God. It's about drawing near to God. And it's about saying, God, I want to know your will. It's I want to know you. It is never about stopping something for stopping something's sake. We're going to look at a slightly longer story about Israel. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence in their midst. And it had been taken from them. And at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 6, the the, the ark returns to where it should be. So 1 Samuel chapter 6 from verse 21 to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 17. Now remember as we read this, the Philistines were a constant thorn in Israel's side. They wouldn't stop. They kept coming back and attack and attack and attack. They would try and take them down. They, They had been warned many times by God. David and Goliath, think about them. Goliath was a Philistine. They were adamant that they wanted to bring down God's people. And they kept coming back. They kept coming back. And they stole God's presence effectively. So 1 Samuel chapter 6 verse 21 says this. They sent emissaries to kiriath Jearim, saying... The Philistines have returned the chest of God. Come down and get it. And they did. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and got the chest of God and delivered it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They ordained his son, Eleazar, to take responsibility for the chest of God. 
from the time that the chest came to rest, that's a bit poetic, from the time that the chest came to rest in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed. 20 years it was. And throughout Israel, there was a widespread, widespread fearful movement towards God. Just a minute. The presence of God came back to where it should be. And for 20 years, there was a widespread movement towards God. There was a respect. They remembered what it was all about. They came. They shifted their focus from there to there. Then, verse 3, Samuel addressed the house of Israel. If you are truly serious about coming back to God, clean house. Get rid of the foreign gods, the fertility goddesses. Ground yourselves firmly in God. Worship him and him alone, and he will save you from Philistine oppression. They did it. They got rid of the gods and goddesses, the images of Baal and Ashtaroth, and gave their exclusive attention and service to God. Can you hear what's happening here? They're turning from this to, to God. None of that stuff, all to God. They're focused completely on God. They got rid, they got rid, they cleaned house, and they gave their exclusive attention and service to God. Next, Samuel said, get everybody together at Mizpah and I'll pray for you. So everyone assembled at Mizpah. They drew water from the wells and poured it out before God in a ritual of cleansing. They fasted all day and prayed. We have sinned against God. So Samuel prepared the Israelites for holy war there at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel was meeting at Mizpah, the Philistine leaders went on the offensive. They came to attack. Israel got the report and became frightened. Can you see what happens there? This nation have turned back to God and recognized that God is the power that they need. God is good and they need God at their midst. And they hear word of that enemy coming back again. They hear word of that problem that has dogged them again and again. And they become fearful. It doesn't take much to turn our attention from fully on God to suddenly looking back. Plenty of examples of it through scripture. The Lot's wife. Doesn't take much for us. On a Sunday morning, we can come here and go, yes, I get this. I need to make this. I need to sort this out. I need to turn to God. I need to make sure I know Jesus for myself. I need to make sure that I am closer and closer to him each day. And then the next thing, we can walk out that door and something can just take our eyes. That's what happens. Israel, the presence of God was there. And one report of this nation that was dogging them really badly came back to, to say, actually, you need to be scared. That's what the devil says. You need to be scared. You don't need to be afraid. What did they do? Verse 8, they pleaded with Samuel, pray with all your might and don't let up. Pray to God, our God, that he'll save us from the boot of the Philistines. They'd already been told they were going to be saved. They'd already been told. Samuel said to them, if you turn back, if you clean house, if you get serious, if you get rid of all that stuff and take your way this way, focus on God exclusively, he'll save you from the Philistines. And the next thing, they're saying, Samuel, pray, 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 then we'll be saved. They've already been promised. We've already been promised peace, joy, love, all of those things in the midst of whatever our circumstances they say, pray that God will save us from the boot of the Philistines. Verse 9, Samuel took a young lamb, not yet weaned, and offered it whole as a burnt offering to God. He prayed fervently to God, interceding for Israel, and God answered. While Samuel was offering the sacrifice, the Philistines came within range to fight Israel. So 
What's happened here? Samuel said, I'm preparing you. We need to fast and pray. Fast and pray. But the main thing is focus exclusively on God. He doesn't talk much about the food side of things. He doesn't talk much about what they're fasting from. He says, what are you feasting on? Focus on God exclusively. And Samuel prays and prays fervently. All these words. And then what happens is this. Just when the Philistines came within range to fight Israel, just then, God thundered. A huge thunderclap exploding among the Philistines. They panicked, mass confusion, and ran helter-skelter from Israel. Israel poured out of Mizpah and gave chase, killing the Philistines right and left to a point just beyond beth Car. Samuel took a single rock and set it upright between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, Rock of Help, saying, This marks the place where God helped us. Have you got some stones like that in your life where you can mark it and say, This is the place where God helped us. Ebenezer, this is the place where God helped us. The reason they did that was so they wouldn't forget, but they still did. They still forgot that God helped them. How did he help them? Why did he help them? Because their focus was exclusively on him. Yeah. And he helped them in an amazing way. The Philistines learned their lesson and stayed home. No more border crossings. This problem that was after them stopped. It stopped. God was hard on the Philistines all through Samuel's lifetime. All the cities from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored. Israel also freed the surrounding countryside from Philistine control. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel gave solid leadership to Israel his entire life. Every year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. He gave leadership to Israel in each of these places. But always he would return to Ramah where he lived and preside from there. And that is where he built an altar to God. Now, that's a really long passage, lots of complicated names. But there's a few key points we need to remember from it. And it's linked to fasting. First thing. If you are truly serious about God, there's the question. Samuel says to the Israelites, they're saying we need something. We need to change our focus. So Samuel says, if you are truly serious about God. So I'm going to ask you that question this morning. If you are truly serious about God, who in this place, you don't have to stand up and go, yes, me, but think it in your heart or whatever. Who is serious about God? Who wants to get truly serious about God? Well, the next bit is the instruction. The first bit's the question. The next bit says, clean house and get rid. Clean house and get rid of. All the things that distract you, all the things that take your focus from the God who you need to exclusively look to. Take them and get rid. Ground yourself in him and worship him. Okay? I'll say those things again. Are you serious about God? Do you want to get serious with God? Clear house. Get rid of the stuff that brings you down and drags you down and ground yourself in him and worship him. That is fasting. That is fasting. Sometimes it just helps to get rid of something. So Samuel said, get rid of the things that distract you. For them, it was Ashtaroth poles and fertility symbols. For them, it was other gods. For you, it might be something else. And it might just be a temporary thing for now that gets you into a habit of focusing and feasting on God. We were in our leadership meeting on Thursday night and I said, Alan's been fasting his sleep for years. He gets up at, what time do you get up, Alan? About five o'clock in the morning and goes and charges the car at Tesco while it's quiet and he prays and reads his Bible. Alan has had a fast for every day of his life because it's not about the deprivation. He doesn't care about his sleep. He's not like me, you know. Some of us are night people. 
Some of us love getting up in the morning. But actually, he's had that fast from his sleep so he could focus on God. It wasn't an intention. He didn't go around, look at me. I'm sorry, I shouldn't out you because what stays in fast club stays in fast club. But he's fasted his sleep so that he could focus. He hasn't gone, I'll get up and then play some Xbox. You know, it's not his thing. I haven't got up and got watched Loose Women. It's not on at five o'clock, I don't think. Anyway, I don't watch it, but I don't know. I know it's not on at five o'clock in the morning because uh, people who watch it won't be up at five o'clock in the morning. But anyway, that sounds really judgmental. I'm very sorry if you watch Loose Women. Okay, let me ask you another question. Who's a fan of decluttering? Put your hands up if you're a fan of decluttering. There, okay, okay, okay. I like it, I'm just not very good at it, okay? Decluttering, you know, what, what is it about life? What, you know, what stuff do you declutter the most? Over Christmas, what have you got rid of? Clothes, they're too, too, too big. <laughs> Maybe too small after Christmas, I know mine were a little bit snugger, but hey, I'm back on the wagon, that's good. So declutter, what have you decluttered over Christmas and why have you done it? Maybe you've got toys that you've removed because you've got, you know, the, the children have grown up, so you've given them to a charity shop. You've decluttered because they're not needed anymore. It's a distraction. It just fills the room. So if you're good at decluttering your house, fasting says declutter your life. Get rid. The stuff that takes up room that is unnecessary, the stuff that shouldn't be there, the stuff that, the stuff that fills your heart. We need to declutter on a regular basis. Get rid. Samuel says, if you're truly serious about God, clean house, get rid, and worship him. Simple. Yet we still don't get it. We still don't do it. And so fasting is that preparation. There is a paradox, isn't there? We don't do it for a reward or outcome. It said last week, God doesn't require attention getting devices. And then the next verse says, but he will see what you do. <laughs> So God doesn't require it, but he will see. And do you know what he sees when we fast? He doesn't see the going without food. He sees the fact that we're turning to him. So if we use that time to turn to him, then actually he will draw near. The Bible promises he will draw near. It's not to expect for a reward, but the, the better your relationship with someone is, the more they'll fight your corner. Isn't that right? Yeah. The better your relationship is with someone, the more they will stand up for you, the more they will stand by your side, the more they will support you. Yeah? Okay. I'm guessing the miserable people are all fasting. Come on, guys. <laughs> the better your relationship is, the more they will support you. And the more also they will speak difficult truths into your life. Yeah? And actually, if we are close to those people and we want to be close and get rid, then we will listen to those people who we trust. And we will say, actually, yes, I hear where you're coming from. It's not just about the blessing. It's about the sometimes facing the difficult truth. Sometimes somebody's saying, actually, you need to get rid of that. Samuel said to them, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. They didn't go, oh, Samuel, you're being a bit harsh. I'm not coming to this church again. Didn't say that. They said, whatever, because we want to focus on God. We don't, we don't care about that anymore. We want to worship God and God alone the more they will comfort you when you're mourning. Yeah, the closer you are to someone, the more they will comfort you. The closer you are to someone, the more they will journey with you in the deserts and in the good places. It talks in that passage of preparation. Samuel prepared the Israelites. How? He told them to fast and pray. He prepared them for total focus on God. That's fasting. 
That's fasting. What happens next in that passage is that that enemy, that Philistine enemy, are supernaturally scared off, are supernaturally beaten and warned off and stopped. And it says, that's it. The Philistines won't come near anymore. And actually, when we read it with our Western ears in the 21st century, it sounds quite harsh. We don't like to read these passages of Scripture. It sounds a bit harsh. But you've got to recognize as we read it that that's the culture of the time. The culture that the Israelites were in wasn't all nicey-nicey, let's have afternoon tea together. It was dog-eat-dog, and actually, it was kill or be killed. It was, it was tribal. It was, it was rough. However... Let's try and think of it with an imperfect example. Someone who is heavily involved in dealing drugs in our town, are they a thorn in our town? Are they a thorn in the side of our town? Somebody who is dealing drugs. Somebody who is ruining lives of families. Are they a problem for our town? Are they a problem for our country? Are they a problem for our nation? Are they aware of the consequences of their actions? Yeah, I would say so. I know sometimes it's a desperation, but sadly there probably isn't enough consequence sometimes for that action. But let me ask you a question, and I might be wrong, it's an imperfect example, and I'm not an expert. But if drug abuse and the dealing of drugs was removed from our town, would we say that was a good thing? We would, wouldn't we? So the warnings are there for people. The Philistines have been warned time after time after time. They are a problem for God's people. They are a problem for society. The Philistines needed to be stopped. In the same way, they've been warned about their actions, and so they receive some of the consequences that have been promised. The, the picture is imperfect, but it's the same outcome. It helps to see with our eyes our culture. We would have no problem with somebody be, being, being locked up because of what they're doing. And the hope is they would be rehabilitated, they would get clean, they would get themselves sorted, they would clean house and get rid and hopefully turn their focus to God. That would be the, the prayer, wouldn't it? But sadly, it doesn't happen. Samuel led his people to get serious. I want to lead Springmount to get serious. I want to lead myself to get serious. What does getting serious mean? It means get rid, clean house, declutter your home and your life, fervently pray and fervently worship. And what is the result when we do that? What is the result because we go near to God? It's peace. It's peace. It's peace. That is the result of this story. They fast and pray. The result is peace. They didn't expect anything other than to turn to God. And the result was peace. Samuel did it because he was a godly leader. He did it because he knew himself what a difference intimacy with God makes. Had he been through rough times? Yes, he effectively, as a child, was left his parents. That wasn't easy. Samuel hadn't, he wasn't this man who'd had it all easy. He lived in a place where it was godless. Had he made mistakes? Did it always go right for him? No. But he clearly experienced an amazing relationship with God. And fasting and prayer and worship was at the heart of it. It was at the heart of it. I asked you last week, are you hungry? That doesn't mean, do you want some food? It means, are you hungry for God? This week I say, do you want to get serious with God? Not going through the motions, but serious with God. Not because of an issue you might want to pray about, but because of the issue of your heart. Because you want to get near to God. Because you long to be in close communication and relationship with Him. Because you long to know Him and know His will. Well, do you know what? 
If you want to do that, simple. Clean your house. I don't mean physically. Clean your house. Get rid. Declutter. And fix your focus exclusively on God. That is what fasting is about. This week, I've started to write a journal each day. Now, I'm not, this isn't me boasting. I believe I've got to be accountable to you. <laughs> but actually, each day, I believe God has even shown me things already. He's already started to change some habits and attitudes that I have simply because I've made sure that my focus is greater on him. And you might say, well, Johnny, the pastor, that should be the case. Easy for me to get distracted. People distract all the time. That's a good thing sometimes, but actually... I need to make sure I intentionally set aside time to feast on God. And actually, we all do. If you're not a Christian this morning, what a way to start with a real focus on Jesus by saying, I want to turn away from that and I want to give myself to him. That is what fasting is about. That is what life is about. And what does this message tell us? The result will be peace, even though the enemy is still around. The result will be peace. The result will be love. The result will be intimacy with a Father God who loves us, who loves us, who loves us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't require us to try and perform. You don't ask us to be anything other than who we are. And you say that we are children of God. Father God, you don't expect us to, to, to wave our, our, our hands in the air to do anything other than you expect us to fix our eyes on you, to clean our, our, our lives up, to ask you to declutter for us. We don't have to do it on our own. But Father God, when we clean and clean that heart space, you will move in if we let you. You will fill us. You will flood our lives. You will fill us afresh so that our focus can be fixed entirely on Jesus. Help us to know the difference that focus makes. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody is um, committing to do this for the 21 days, then it would be really good to share. You can share anonymously, if you like. Um, at help at, oh, leave it on, sorry help at springmount.church. If there's anything that you believe God has really spoken into you in these few weeks for the church, for you personally, then if you email help at springmount.church and, and just share that, and it'd be great to hear some stories anonymously of how God is making a difference as people have turned their focus to him. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't started, try just a partial fast, you know, whatever that may look like to you. But the point of it is to feast on him.